Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 says, And I am astonished, Paul said, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. So we're going to start off with a video. This video is almost five minutes long. And it's really by uh, Larry Fowler was at that time the CEO of Awana. So this was to talk about Awana, but after you get past the first minute, I want you to really uh, focus in on the power and the meaning of the gospel. This video is called The Value of the Gospel. Let's watch it together. <laughs> The first value of Awana is that we proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with clarity and urgency. What does it mean to value the gospel? It means we put it first, and we do. It is the first reason we serve in Awana, the first consideration in studying and planning, the first standard in measuring effectiveness, the first rationale for desiring growth and why we are diligent in doing it well. We put the gospel first in our materials. It is first in the Cubby's Bear Hug for sure, first in the Sparks Gate Test, first in TNT Start Zone, first in Trek Check, and first in Face Foundation. The gospel is also first in the Awana Pledge and primary to our doctrine. It is first in basic training and primary to Roarheim Institute. It is first in our prayer and primary to our mission. But what does it mean to personally value the gospel? When we value the gospel and hear it again, we get a bounce in our step, chills up our spine, a pounding in our hearts, a prayer on our lips, and a smile on our face. But we also get tears in our eyes. Here's what it means to value the gospel. It becomes the motivator for our mission, the force behind freshness, the energy for excellence, the cause for creativity, and the grounds for great work. Just how essential is the gospel? It is vital, it is critical, it is central, foundational, fundamental, and elemental. The gospel is indispensable, integral, intrinsic, and imperative, and that's just the beginning. The gospel must be the motivation for our motivators, the inspiration for our inspiration, the content of our content, the passion for our purpose, and the purpose of our passion. Why do we value the gospel so much? Because with the gospel, we learn the most about God. Because of the gospel, we see the love of God, the grace of God, the work of God, the goodness of God, the holiness of God, the forgiveness of God, the power of God, the providence of God, and the sovereignty of God, just to name a few. Why do we value it? Because it is enough. 
The gospel is simple enough for the small child, but deep enough for the greatest theologian. It is effective enough to cover the gravest of sins, but broad enough to cover all of them. It is inclusive enough to reach a whole world, but it is personal enough for you and for me. After all, the gospel is the good news of love, of grace, of forgiveness, of salvation alone, of, through, and by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. That's why the gospel is the center of our ministry. But how does it relate to our ministry? It is a nucleus of all that we do because it's the crux of Christianity. So it is the axis of our activity, the seed of our security, the heart of our hearts, the root of our research, the rudder of our reason, the core of our conviction, the bedrock of our beliefs, the cornerstone of our commitments, the compass of our curriculum, the soul of our service, and it is the meat of our message. So what is Awana without the gospel? Without the gospel, our games are groundless. Our awards are aimless, our uniforms are unimportant, and our structure is senseless. Finally, what does the Bible say? The Bible says if there is no gospel, our preaching is useless. If there is no gospel, our witness is false. If there is no gospel, our faith is futile. If there is no gospel, our hope is pathetic. And if there is no gospel, our sin is unforgiven. However, the Bible also says that because of the gospel, peace is provided, grace is given, faith bears fruit, love is limitless, Satan is subdued, death is destroyed, eternity is expected, immortality is illumined, and heaven is whole. That, my friends, is why Awana is first about the gospel. So that shows you the value and the importance of the gospel, which we're going to talk about today in this passage in Galatians chapter 1. So let's turn our attention to those verses, verses 6 through 9, as we talk about how the gospel was given to us by grace, by grace. And you see also the first um, bullet point under there, how quickly some fall away. In verses 6 through 7a, Paul said, I'm astonished that you, those at the Galatia churches, are so quickly deserting God who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one. Paul was astonished at how quickly they were moving away from the gospel. They were, he was astonished means to astound or to bewilder. He wasn't bewildered at the false teachers, but astounded by how quickly the people bought into the teaching of these false teachers at the churches in southern Galatia region. He couldn't believe how fast they were leaving their orthodox faith. They had the greatest teacher the church had ever had besides Jesus Christ, and yet they were falling away. Quickly in this verse means easily, readily, or soon, and sometimes all three meanings at one time. Why do you think that the Galatians were so quick to desert the gospel? The one that Paul had taught them from the very beginning, and now they're headed to a different gospel. Well, persecution, chapter 5, verse 8. Maybe because they were facing um, 
pushback from relatives and people in the religious world and credibility of the Judaizers. We'll talk about that in a few moments, these legal Judaizers and where they came from. The smear campaign on Paul's credentials as an apostle may have led people to go astray. A desire to contribute personally to their own righteousness to seek approval from God instead of just accepting the righteousness that came from Christ. Could have been cultural expectations. They were in a minority believing this gospel. And other people around them looked on them probably with scorn. Another reason they may have deserted was human logic and the default mode that we have as human beings to legalism. We like to be rules followers and we like to encourage and, and ask other people to be rules followers as well. But it begins in small changes in ideas and then permeates all the teachings. It says in Galatians 5.9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And those of you who make bread and put leaven in it, you know, you mix it in, it's a little bit, and it permeates or it goes through and affects the entire lump of dough. You see, they were deserting not Paul, but the God who saved them and his teachings about salvation. Paul had shared the gospel at these church plants, led people to Christ. He discipled them. He trained elders. He helped them to learn how to make disciples who make disciples as well. But now they were deserting the true gospel. Desert here in these verses means a military term describing someone who deserts his co-patriots. This would be punishable by death during war times. These false teachers were leading believers away to a different gospel. They were leaving the calling to the true gospel to go to this different thing that the Judaizers were bringing to them. And it was contrary to what God wanted them to do. The word different refers to the gospel here is also used in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4. Paul describes it this way, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Paul goes on to say those who preach a different gospel are servants of Satan. He says in 2 Corinthians 11, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Pretty harsh judgment for those who preach a different gospel. The Moody Bible Commentary said this, For Paul, a different gospel is not Christian adjustment to be taken lightly, but a satanic distortion to be rejected. So we're not talking about differences and how we view the end times of when the rapture may occur, middle, beginning of the tribulation or whatever. We're not talking about Arminianism versus Calvinism and the work of the Holy Spirit today in this world. We can be focused on the gospel and disagree on some of those points. But when it comes to the gospel, we have to understand that we have to stay true and honest with what the word of God says. <clears throat> Now, Paul said there were even some people who preached the gospel and with selfish ambition or false motives. And he rejoiced about that because the gospel, the true gospel, was being preached. That's what he said in Philippians 1. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. <clears throat> the latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. 
The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And he says, I rejoice. He says, again, I say rejoice. He's saying if the gospel is preached, God will use it even if the motives are wrong. But we're talking here about priority one, as we saw in the video, foundation truth, the gospel of grace given to us by Jesus Christ. So what is this different gospel uh, that the legalistic Judaizers were preaching and teaching? Well, Paul was grieved that his gospel of grace through faith and not works was being exploited to become a gospel of works. He was grieved that Gentile believers were being asked by the Jewish legalists here to practice ceremonial laws as part of salvation. He was grieved that all Christians in the church at Galatia had to obey and honor the Jewish law and traditions in order to obtain and maintain the righteousness from the Lord. The biggest challenge to the church today is not atheism or paganism. No, not whatever at all, but people who know the truth and try to add or take away from it. It's like adding a drop of poison in a container of water makes it lethal, so a little leaven, as we just read, leavens the whole lump. And there's a very urgent need in the church to preach the central truths of the Scripture and faithfully share the gospel as clearly as possible as presented in Scripture. This way, people who constantly hear the truth will pick up on false teachings right away. <clears throat> Yesterday, my wife and I went to the Quad City Prayer Breakfast down at the River Center in Davenport, and heard Eric Metaxas. And he talked about for a long period of time how uh, the churches in Germany during World War II turned their back on what was happening to the Jews and they just focused on their little teachings and things. It's said that when the cars came by behind these churches with the Jewish people headed off to the concentration camps, they were encouraged to sing louder to drown out their screams. We, we are the church, and we need to stay true to the word and stay true to preaching and proclaiming it. The elders, the spiritual leaders of any church must be aware and sensitive to false teaching creeping into their midst to steal away the sheep from the local flock of believers. So we, as spiritual leaders, have a responsibility to point to it and call it out. And that's taken from, a, from Acts chapter 20, where Paul met with the Ephesian elders, and with tears, he met with them saying, I will never see you again. I'll see you again in heaven. But he left them as part of his talk with this admonition. Pay careful attention to yourselves as Ephesian elders and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Elders are to study, to examine the purported false teaching and call it out when it violates scripture. And that's one of the major responsibilities of an elder. And then we see second of all here how easily people are led away under this main point. How easily people are led away. Look at the second half of verse 7 of Galatians 1. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Another interesting observation about these Judaizers, they didn't deny Jesus. They didn't say Jesus was not the Savior, nor was he not the one that you need to believe in to be saved. They agreed with that. 
They just wanted to improve the gospel by adding requirements, ceremonies, and standards of the old covenant to the new covenant. Therefore, agreement about Jesus is not grounds for accepting teaching from those who teach a different gospel. The argument says, if we agree on the doctrine of Jesus, then that's good enough for me to accept their teaching is a faulty line of thinking. The Judaizers would disagree with Paul that they were troubling or distorting. Troubling here means to disturb, to disrupt, to shake back and forth, to agitate, to stir up. It was a, it's a deep emotional disturbance leading to an unsettled mind. And that's the goal of false teachers, to cause you to doubt, to leave you wondering. Another use of the word, for example, Herod. He was shaken to the core and unsettled when he found out that the king of the Jews, Jesus, was born somewhere in his realm. Whenever the gospel is unsettled, it is perverted, according to Titus 1. And the Judaizers had turned or reversed the gospel. They turned it around and taken it back to the law. The Judaizers were asking the believing Gentiles and Jews to become Torah observant. What does that mean? To go back to those first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, and to uh, follow the kosher laws and to follow the ceremonial laws with the feasts and the ways of worship. There's three types of law in the Pentateuch. There's the moral law, which we follow as New Testament believers, and we take from that. There's ceremonial law that was set up for the way the Jews would worship and practice with the tabernacle and later the temple. And then also there were the laws that governed the theocracy, the nation of Israel at that time. And of course, we are not Israel. And Israel is going to come back and going to be restored at the end of the tribulation in the millennial kingdom. The two, the ceremonial and the governmental laws were for them specifically, but we do take from that the moral laws. But these folks would say you need to follow all of those laws to be Torah observant. So later in this letter, Paul will explain how the law was a preparation for the coming of Christ the first time, but the Judaizers interpreted it differently. To the Judaizer, the law and the gospel went together. In Acts 15, the big Jerusalem council, as they began that process of discussing what should be expected of the Gentile believers, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. We'll get into that Jerusalem council later on uh, through the book of Galatians. But distort means to cause a change of state with an emphasis of the difference in the resulting state and how carefully the true gospel has to be preserved. This is so important. As we'll see in our key thought at the end, we are passing on the faith from generation to generation. God has no plan B. It's through his church and through his people. And so we have to preserve carefully this true gospel. In verses 8 through 9 of Galatians 1, it says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Strong language. Satan's main strategy for us as believers toward us is deception. And his primary target for false teaching is this doctrine of salvation. Truth and power rest 
with the true gospel and not with particular people and their experiences. Experiences are good. Experiences are important. But we don't base truth on those experiences. Experiences come in many ways, but it's subjective. It's unmeasurable. Paul is using a hypothetical situation here. Many Jews believe that the divine law came not directly from God, but through angels. In Hebrews 2.2, they would look at this verse and say, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. The Judaizers in Galatia may have made the point that this made the Old Covenant, the ceremonies and Jewish traditions binding on Christ followers. But it's the revelation of the scriptures that come directly from God. In John 1.1, 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. In John 1.14, the Word came and dwelt among us. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, All scripture is God-breathed, inspired, brought, given to us by God. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, the Bible talks about how the Holy Spirit came upon the men, the authors of the Bible, and directed them through the Holy Spirit what to pen, what to write as the inspired, inerrant word of God. It did not come through angels. It came through God the Father to his authors. And so we're dealing with Christians falling away from the true gospel and the inerrancy of Scripture. And many people today are trying to do that because they want to be relevant. They want to do it in the name of reaching more people for Christ. If we just change a few things, maybe we can see more people come into the kingdom. Andy Stanley, down in Atlanta, North Point Community Church, is hosting a conference entitled Unconditional Conference. And here's what it says in the description of the conference. It's a two-day premier event especially designed for parents of LGBTQ plus children and ministry leaders. You'll be equipped, refreshed, and inspired as you hear from leading communicators on the topics that speak to your heart, soul, and mind. It promises that no matter what theological stance you hold, listen to that phrase, no theological stance you hold, we invite you to listen, reflect, and learn as we approach this topic from the, quote, quieter middle space. Okay, so that's interesting. And then he goes on to say the scheduled speakers for the event are two men who are married to each other. And they are, uh, go around and they begin preaching about how the uh, same-sex monogamous marriage fits with Scripture. And they go around and present teachings of how they can bring, restore LBGTQ plus faith in the communities. So it's not like we haven't seen this coming with Andy Stanley, his book Irresistible, talks about the modern evangelical church unhinging his words from the Old Testament and focus on the resurrection. Because some people bring up, well, how could God kill all those people in the Old Testament? How do you explain that? Well, folks, if you don't have the Old Testament, you need that for the New Testament to understand. You need it all together. And it all explains the redemptive story of the gospel of Christ. Another thing that the church is facing today is deconstructionism. You may have heard that term. And there's two kinds of that. There's good deconstruction. There's those who uh, would start with skepticism, and they would say, you know, I want to understand, is this my faith? Or am I just believing this because my parents taught me this or my friends did this? And you look for evidences 
to reconstruct or rebuild your faith and to put faith in the evidences of the truth that's there. But then there's those that are the cynics. And we're seeing this more and more. Even megachurch pastors have, and, and singers have left uh, their view of Christianity and denounced it because they're cynical and they look at everything through the lens of doubt with self as the final arbiter of truth. And they look at God and the church, institutional church with skepticism and the books and teachings that have been produced considering current cultural issues. We're seeing a lot of this going on. So you and I, we have to be careful. We have to preserve. We have to be aware. And we are called to point out these false teachings and others like progressive Christianity that twist scripture to support their agendas. We're to speak the truth in love and do all we can to restore these folks from the false teaching that they're going into. And Galatians 6.1 says that we have a responsibility as spiritual, mature Christians to bear the burden of our brothers and sisters and to bring them back from where they're headed to destruction. So keep in mind that God's grace involves something more than man's salvation. We're not only saved by grace, but we live by grace. 1 Corinthians 15.10. We stand in grace. It's the foundation for the Christian life. Romans 5 says we stand on this grace each and every morning when we wake up. God gives us that new measure of grace just for the 24-hour period that we're promised. Grace gives us strength, and we need to be victorious soldiers, according to 2 Corinthians 2. Grace enables us to suffer without complaining and even to use that suffering to bring honor and glory to God. Paul did that in 2 Corinthians 12 when he talked about uh, the, the thorn in his flesh and that he wanted it removed. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient in your weakness. You are made strong because Christ is the one who comes through. And so when a Christian turns away from living by God's grace, he must depend on his own power. And this leads to failure and disappointment. This is what Paul means by fallen from grace in Galatians 5.4, moving out of the sphere of grace into the sphere of the law. Paul uses strong language when he uses that word accursed twice in these verses. Accursed here means destined or appointed for destruction. Second John, the Apostle John, he has some things to say about this as well. He says, for many deceivers have gone into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. He says, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. And then listen to what he says in verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the orthodox view of Christ and the gospel, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in the wicked works. The Judaizers probably had impressive credentials. They may have claimed to be from the mother church, Jerusalem, and they may have said they came from James, the brother of Jesus, who was the pastor of that church at the time. They sought to change the gospel and undermine Paul's authority. The flip side of that is we have to be careful we don't live a licentious life. We say we have freedom in Christ. The theme of this book is liberating freedom. That doesn't mean freedom without any boundaries. There are boundaries. Just like when 
you go bowling and you take some kids and you put those, those blow-up bumpers in the, in the rails, right? There's boundaries to keep the ball in a certain place. We live with freedom with boundaries, it tells us in Jude 1.4. And we avoid both restrictive legalism and permissive liberalism or cultic perversion. And all these are distortions of the gospel and perverts the nature and the work of Christ. So here's our application to the first point. The consequences of distorting the gospel are catastrophic. Think about it. If NASA sends off a, a ship from Cape Canaveral, and it's just one or two or three degrees off, they're not going to hit their target. It's not going to make it to the moon or wherever it's going. We have to stay very precise and centered on what the gospel is. Our second point is found in verses 10 through 12. The gospel was given to us by revelation to faithfully share. Remind you that it comes from God. The Mormons teach Joseph Smith was met with the angel Moroni to be able to get the tablets. And then Moroni translated these tablets that no known language has been able to, it's not a known language that anybody's been able to understand. There's many, many different religions that start with the angel, but it comes from God as far as Christianity goes. In Galatians 1.10 it says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? And if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. So the gospel is not given to share to please people. That isn't the purpose of the gospel. Two things were under attack in this section of scripture. The truth of the gospel and Paul's authority to give the gospel as it was revealed to him. Paul did not seek to please any man. He preached a law-free gospel. And he says here, you cannot serve both men and Christ. Serving Christ trumps pleasing people. The test of a man's ministry and success is not popularity, according to Matthew 24, or how many miraculous signs and wonders, Matthew 24 says, but his faithfulness to the word of God in 1 John chapter 4. There was a, a, a songwriter who put together an opera many, many years ago. His name was Verdi, and he was in Florence, Italy. And it was opening night, and they were going to perform his new opera for the very first time. And so Verdi decided he wanted to stand in the shadows, and he wanted to look out in the audience. But he didn't care if anybody cheered or jeered him. His eyes were focused on one man, the greatest composer at the time in Italy. His name was Rossini. And he looked at him throughout the opera to see if there was even going to be a hint of a smile to show approval for his work. That's who, how we need to be, and that's how Paul was. He knew what it was to suffer for the gospel, but the approval or disapproval of men did not move him. Paul sought God's approval alone. The servant of God is constantly tempted to compromise to attract and please men. When the great evangelist D.L. Moody, who founded Moody Bible Institute, was preaching in England, a worker came to him just before the service was to start, and he was on the platform seated. And this man told him that a very important nobleman, dignitary, was in the crowd. And D.L. Moody turned to this guy and said, may the meeting be a blessing to him. And he preached just as before without trying to impress anybody. That is what 
we are tasked to do. And verse 11 is saying, let me make this perfectly clear. Paul says, no with certainty. The gospel is divine, supernatural, transformative as witnessed by the change in Paul's life and is not to be mixed with human wisdom. The gospel came when Jesus came to earth from God and Christ is the content of the revelation as Paul found out on the Damascus road. So that is why he preaches Christ and the gospel wherever he goes. Second of all, the gospel is not created by human hand. Verse 12, Paul said, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. This verse is directed to the legalistic Judaizers. They were given rabbinic teachings by oral and memorized means. They sadly looked more at the interpretations and the commentary of scriptures by the various rabbis rather than studying the scriptures directly. See, they looked at the scriptures as a sacred relic that were to be reverently treated but not studied to be obeyed. First, Paul's declared that he did not receive the gospel from any human source. Though Paul heard Stephen preach as he held the cloak as they were getting ready to stone him to death, as he had personal contacts with Ananias who came and removed the the things that blinded his eyes, and Barnabas, who helped him to be accepted by the disciples. He was not indebted to them for his knowledge of spiritual truth. He learned it all after he was saved, meeting with Jesus alone and allowing Jesus to teach him. Second of all, Paul affirmed he did not receive the gospel he preached by means of some course of instruction, even though that was the way he preached it to the Galatians and they received the gospel the apostle, on the other hand, received it from a direct revelation from Christ. This was the highest authority. How then could the Galatians question his authority and message? And how did they dare deviate from this divinely revealed truth? So here's our application. As you sit here today, whether it's on your phone or you're holding this Bible in your hands, we hold on our hands a supernatural revelation from God. Never forget that. This is our foundation for our faith. This should uh, dictate how we live our lives, our behavior, our choices, our decisions that we make, our values, the supernatural revelation from God. With all that said, and to think about the bigger picture, here's the key thought. Let us faithfully hold on to and hold out the true gospel and pass it on well to the next generation. That's what we're tasked with. If you read the Bible, it comes through disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Just like Ronald Reagan said that freedom in America is just one generation away from extinction, we know this is the church of Christ and he will preserve it, but it's our responsibility to pass on the gospel to the next generation, and to disciple them in the truth. Some questions to ponder this week. Why do you stay true to the gospel given by God? Think about that. Why, personally, do you stay true to the gospel that is given by God? Second of all, how do you stay true to the gospel given by God? And how has seeing others fall away from the gospel affected your walk with Christ, if at all? As a pastor, it's sad to say, I look back at my yearbooks from Liberty where I went to school and I look at some of my friends and Gary and I know many of them 
And we've seen many of our friends fall away from the truth. We've seen megachurch pastors, Joshua Harris, you know, turn and become involved in the deconstruction movement. And it just breaks your heart because this is the truth that we are to contend for and hold through all time because this is what was given to us by God. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and we are tasked with a big responsibility to not only understand the gospel, to learn it and its simple truths, but to share it with others and to not add or take away from it. And Lord, I pray that you will help us. Help us as as I look every night as I go home. I, I have to be watching in my neighborhood for deer and I'm scanning from side to side the road to see where the deer are so I don't hit it. Help us to be scanning the teachings we're getting and let our spiritual antennas pop up and speak to us with red flags when the truth is not being shared. And help us to preserve this wonderful gospel, this wonderful word of God, but also to share it with those who desperately are searching and looking. Father, I've talked to so many people this week that are just searching for truth, searching for certainty. May we be the conduits. May we be the ones who have spiritual conversations with these people to begin a discussion of how they can have the truth of the gospel transform their lives. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.